welcome to the sixth episode of Coffee Talk at Godric's Hollow. My name is Manish. And I'm Monica. And today we're going to be discussing the mentoring relationships in the Harry Potter series. And the questions that we want to answer are, how are mentoring relationships developed in the series? Does the mentor ever manipulate the mentee? And um, does a mentor have to be, oh, what happens to characters who don't have mentor figures? Uh, like, how does not having a mentor affect their development? In most literature and in a lot of films, the main character ends up having a mentoring relationship of some kind. So we know that in classical Greek literature, Nearly every major character has a mentoring figure uh, who is supposed to provide guidance and understanding and to provide things that the mentee can't get for themselves. And Harry is no different. Harry has a couple, uh, like, couple different mentors in the series. The, I guess the main mentor figure is Albus Dumbledore. Uh, when we first meet uh, Dumbledore in the first book, Harry... He and Harry sort of have a very straightforward relationship, uh, and that sort of carries on to the first, to the next two books. You know, Dumbledore sort of plays the character of like the cool old guy. <laughs> like he's quirky, he's funny, he's very smart, very old, but he has a sort of like grandfather, you know, feel yeah, about him. He's like Santa Claus. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, when Harry asks him what he sees in the mirror of Erised, he says he sees himself with a pair of warm old socks or something. And, I mean, we don't know if that's the truth, but... Uh, it's I mean, funny. He doesn't He doesn't take himself too seriously. Exactly. At least we don't think he does, so... And, uh, well, that relationship is, you know, fun to read, and, um, but it's... It, it's 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 sort of bland in the sense that Voldemort, or sorry, Dumbledore doesn't really become. Whoa! A... <laughs> Whoa! What kind of a slip was that? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I think that's a whole new episode that we can talk about. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Uh, but Voldemort. Oh my god! Just didn't... <laughs> character until his uh, flaws start to come through. Um, and when does that happen, really? Is it, is it in the fourth book, or is it kind of more in the fifth book? Uh, I would say the seeds are planted in the fourth book. Um, I mean, especially, I mean, it's more blatant in the film version, you know, because we see Dumbledore... Um, like, literally deciding to let Harry compete in the tournament because of the rules and because he wants to see what happens. Well, what would, I mean, I, like, bring this up probably too often, but I am just so confused as to (laughs) why Dumbledore, like, let this tournament happen in the first place. But whatever. I mean, well, I mean, we can talk about it, but... Well, do you mean, like, why he let it happen at all or why he let Harry compete 
Well, why he let Harry compete, why he let the tournament happen at all. There's There has to be other ways of creating bonds between magical communities rather than having them compete uh, uh, at magical schools, rather than having them compete, like, sort of against each other. <laughs> like, just have people study abroad, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a, different... a study abroad program. Yeah. <laughs> there should be. I'm going to start one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess there's, there's always a sort of fun in having people, you know, come and, like, compete and show off their skills. I mean, the Olympics are going on right now. That's true. No, you're right. That, wow, I mean, I a, imagine that... That's a good parallel. The people who are planning this tournament aren't really seeing it as a murder plot, but just as a way to, like, have some fun. I mean, yeah, it's dangerous, but... Everything's dangerous in the magical world. You're giving teenagers magical powers and wands. <laughs> We're going to turn each other into ferrets. <laughs> exactly. And hex each other into falling in love. Ahem, uh, Romilda. Ahem. <laughs> Romilda Vane. Romilda Vane. <laughs> Anyways, back, uh-huh. to, back to Harry and Dumbledore. So, you know, in the... It, so, you, like you said, the seeds are planted... Um, in the fourth book. And then in the fifth book, you know, that's when Dumbledore has that huge conversation with Harry and is like, for so many years, I wanted to hide this from you. I like, didn't want you to know, but like, you're the chosen one. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's all up to you. Well, I mean, uh, even before that, I mean, what's with Dumbledore, like not even, speaking to Harry for almost an entire year. Well, yeah. I mean, for so much of... Well, I mean, in the fourth book, yeah, there isn't there isn't much interaction, even though Harry has all these questions, like, what's going on with the Dark Mark? What's going on with me? Um, right. And then especially when Harry starts having, like, visions and vivid dreams in the fifth book, you know, Dumbledore isn't there for Harry. Because right. Dumbledore feels that he can't, he can't share the information to Harry that he should. And is it can't or won't? I mean, I don't mean won't as in, like, chooses not to, but like, well, okay, yeah, that is what I mean. But okay. <laughs> I don't, like, sorry, I, I don't mean won't in that, like, he's just, like, outright refusing to do it, but he's won't as in. Like, he thinks that Harry not knowing is, like, a benefit. I mean, I know that's what he thinks. Well, does he not want to... He doesn't want to tell Harry, because at least how we see it, in that he wants to protect Harry for a little bit longer. Yeah. Right? Which is actually... That's a very strong, like, moral mentor characteristic. It's... I guess it's it's meant it's protective mentoring in that case. Well, I guess I disagree with you, which is a huge shocker for our <sighs> listeners. <laughs> because I think that it's paternalistic in that it's an older figure basically deciding what the younger what's best for the younger figure and I think that if Dumbledore truly truly deeply had Harry's best interests at heart, knowing Harry um, as well as he does, having taught him for, you know, the last, um, 
for the last couple of years, he would know that it's better to protect Harry by telling him what's going on and helping him protect himself rather than shielding him from, you know, danger. Because when Harry is shielded away, that's when he gets rebellious. <laughs> that's when he's like, you guys don't understand. Exactly. The bleep and bleep I go through. <laughs> um, well, okay. No, I, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, I think that you know maybe, but maybe Dumbledore finally saw that. It's not like it wasn't a growing process for Dumbledore either. A mentoring relationship isn't just for the mentee; it's for the mentor as well. Um, and that's, I mean, that's something, I have a mentor at work, and she's awesome, she's great, like, I can talk to her about, like, how I'm feeling, but then also talk to her about, you know, I want to be challenged more in this, or I want to get more experience in this area, and she's helped me give, she's helped me, and, like, given me, you know, avenues that I can go to, to, to learn more about, like, my, myself, and more, um, and, like, move forward in my professional development, so, if that's sort of how a mentor is supposed to function, then it's it's different because Harry <laughs> Harry's like on this mission to save the world, um, and he has Dumbledore there to to bring him through it. But how does Dumbledore end up teaching Harry, or how does Dumbledore end up guiding Harry? Because he obviously sees the potential that Harry has and the potential that Harry has to gain so that he can, you know, achieve the final success. But in this case, final success means what Dumbledore thinks, killing himself <laughs> to save <Right. laughs> to save the world by killing Voldemort. Um, and, you know, how how does Dumbledore end up building Harry up to that? Or does he? Or doesn't he? I like. I always thought that Dumbledore and Harry. Um, I always felt that Dumbledore sort of let Harry make his own mistakes sometimes, and he. I just felt that okay, like um, Dumbledore's mission has always sort of been to, you know, guide Harry, as you said and prepare him for the battles. But I think that, in some ways, some of the best lessons that Dumbledore had taught Harry are the ones that Harry had to learn himself, not the ones that Dumbledore said, okay, well, this is what you need to learn right now. And I think that by preparing, by like teaching him the history of Tom Riddle, Jr., and Sr., I guess, uh, <laughs> by... <laughs> By kind of showing him his enemy at, in a more three-dimensional way as opposed to the abstract, you know, Voldemort's trying to get me, I have to, like, save myself and the world. I think that was sort of the best way for Dumbledore to, um, to sort of guide Harry. But then there are just some times where I feel like Dumbledore really fails Harry. The, you know, the main one being not telling him that he's a quote-unquote chosen one earlier. I mean, he chooses to tell him right after Sirius Black dies. I mean, it's just like, it's just like, come on, like I'm pretty sure that's like a grief counseling no no. <laughs> grief counseling no no. 
It's not part of the five stages. <laughs> right, there's no stage where you give, like, devastating news <laughs> to the griever. In the, in the grief, pro- in the five stages. <laughs> the um, well, well, okay, let's think about the lessons that Dumbledore has taught Harry. And I can think of two right now, like, very quickly. The first one being what he learned when they were in front of the Mirror of Era said, which is, right. it's not worth it to waste away looking at something. <laughs> like, he, what does he say? Like, people have wasted away, lost their lives staring at the Mirror of Era said on what they have desired. Right. And, you know, that kind of says that you, you can... I mean, one of the one of the interpretations is you can dream all you want, but what's the point if you're not going to do anything to get there? Right. And then the other point is the past is the past or like this is it right now, but that doesn't mean that you can't do something to shape what's going to happen in the future. And that's that's a like that's a, probably the most profound bit of language that we get in Sorcerer's Stone. Right. <laughs> um the rest of it's pretty childish. And then in and then the other lesson that I can think of immediately is what Dumbledore does with Harry and Slughorn, how he, like, brings him there to kind of be this sort of a, here's the trophy you'll get, Slughorn, if you <laughs> if you come back to teach for me. And, right. And just that kind of a, well, sometimes you have to do these kind of slimy things to get what you want, or you have to do things that... Sometimes you, know, you have to pimp out your pupils. <laughs> <laughs> Mentor or manipulator, <laughs> pimping pimpin the pupils. That's it. that's what this episode's about. <laughs> but yeah, I um I actually think that like Half Blood Prince. I mean, I know I praise that book and that film a lot, um, but I really think that sort of when Harry and Dumbledore's mentoring relationship gets repaired from the year before. Uh, because they do spend a lot of time together, and a lot of the time is Dumbledore being like straight with Harry, like no games, no, you know, no, like no games, no riddles. Just like this is what's going on. This is what you have to do. Like, I mean, he literally gives Harry several missions throughout the book. You know, get the memory from, uh, get the memory from Slughorn. You know, take, come with me to the cave, and you know, follow all my instructions, and you know, feed me this poison. Or, yeah, no, absolutely. Book know. six, and, book six is a very solid, is a very solid. Like, this is us going on missions together, but you have to. I'm, I'm going to show you what's happening, and you have to be able to think critically and apply your knowledge and make it happen. And this isn't just a game anymore. It's not me throwing you into um, the glob, like the tournament, the Triwizard Tournament. <laughs> Or anything but like that. But this isn't me, like, making you spend time with your least favorite teacher and to learn an impossible skill, which is occlumency. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I thought that was probably one of the worst things Dumbledore ever did. That was, like, like the biggest failure of Harry's life. <laughs> he was not able to, like, achieve anything <laughs> in the skill of occlumency. And I, I, I remember J.K. Rowling saying something that, like, only wizards with, like, darkness in them or something like that can do Aquamancy because, 
like if you're good, you're like open or she said something like that. I have to I'll have to find the article. Interesting. Maybe in the next uh, maybe in the next episode I can sort of clarify what I'm talking about. But I know she said something to that effect. And like that's why Harry couldn't do it because he doesn't have that like dark tendencies. He doesn't have the the point of like trying to hide something. Yeah, or... and I think uh, I think somewhere in one of the books or maybe J.K. Rowling said it as like an afterthought that like Drake, Draco Malfoy had become really skilled at occlumency. No way. I don't remember yeah. that. Huh. Then maybe it's like a sort of like after the fact like thing she told us. Hmm. But, um, or maybe I'm dreaming this. I don't know. But well, <laughs> I'm pretty sure both these things I said are true. We've both dreamed more vivid things about Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I think that, um, you know, as, as much as I want to criticize Dumbledore, which is a lot, I mean, he's one of those characters that you just start admiring and start putting on a pedestal but then slowly you know the pedestal starts to like break apart and you start to sort of see I mean it's sort of strange seeing Dumbledore as a person it's strange hearing about him as a young man in the seventh book I mean that's totally mind-boggling to both Harry and the reader that you know Dumbledore was a young man and had all these like anti-muggle thoughts and you know was was friends with this great dark wizard and it's all very strange and... It's very different. It's like, it, it gives you insight into his, like, how, you know, what what shaped him, what made him into what he is now, and, like, dealing with the losses of the sibling, you know, due to you. Yeah. Um, is, is very, I mean, that obviously affected him greatly, and unfortunately we don't get to hear from Dumbledore himself on how it affected him. But. Well, we sort of do in the King's Cross chapter at the end of Deathly Hallows. You know, when um, Harry has that vision while he's sort of in the afterlife. Right, right. And Dumbledore does... I mean, it's not, it's not Dumbledore himself. It's a projection of Harry's own subconscious. But, uh, I mean, it, so I, I guess maybe it's not real information. It's what Harry wants to be true, but that brings us to a discussion of Inception-type dream analysis. (laughs) Well, how interesting is it that, you know, I think we could have a whole episode about that King's Cross uh, scene. So if if Harry's in this limbo, he sees a part of his soul, I guess, like, dead and skinned, um, which is, like, Dumbledore's soul. Um, but no, then, it's Voldemort's soul. or sorry, it's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> I think because their names rhyme, so I Dumbledore Voldemort, <laughs> Voldemort. I don't know. Um, so, but then to explain to himself what he's experiencing he has Dumbledore's figure do it yeah which means that's who Harry would go to to have questions answered to have inform- to get information to figure out like next steps and actions and everything that's so for Harry his his mentor and his teacher of life is Dumbledore right which means for Harry, it's okay that 
Dumbledore messed up so much and that he, like, didn't provide, you know, <laughs> all the information when he wanted it and the way he wanted it. But in the end, you know, he didn't just have a projection of himself speaking to himself. Right. He had it be the the figure that he felt would explain it to him best. Yeah, I mean, I guess... I mean, I, I well, you know, we... The, you and I kind of talk about that sort of moment when you realize that your parents and your teachers and your mentors and your professors aren't 100% perfect human beings, and that, that usually starts to happen when you're around, you know, 16, 17, 18, and it's, it's sort of that, like, devastating realization that, hey... You know, the people I look up to aren't perfect themselves, and they have flaws, and they make mistakes, and you eventually come to terms with that, and I think that's what's going on with Harry uh, in the sixth book, and even after... Uh, and definitely in the even, seventh book, after he reads... After he reads about, you know, what Dumbledore did in his youth, and what he went through, he realizes that, you know, Dumbledore wasn't this perfect person. Um, it... Maybe it wasn't right that he hid so much from Harry for so long. And it wasn't right that he had himself die before Harry was able to to understand and figure and figure things out. Um, but, you know, the journey that Harry goes through and, and the people around him that are supposed to be helping him and taking care of him and, and everything to, to him realizing that, you know... I'm the only one that can take care of myself. It's very challenging. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and Snape is the one who says, like, you know, you raised a pig for slaughter in his own memory to, right. to Dumbledore about Harry. So, and, and for Harry to hear that again. But in the end, you know, if Harry had never, um, if Harry had never really heard that, and do you, do you still think that Harry would have made the decision to sacrifice himself for the Wizarding World? Well, okay, so what you're saying is if Harry hadn't listened to the memory from Snape, he wouldn't have made the decision to go sacrifice himself. Well, I'm asking if he still if would you have. Think, if he still would have. Well, right. the problem is, is that without the memory, Harry wouldn't have known that I guess Hermione kind of knew already or something <laughs> but he wouldn't have known that he was the last horcrux is that true right am i making uh, that too basic i don't know if, i don't I, I think i think maybe harry kind of already knew sort of kind of well maybe he didn't know that he was maybe he didn't specifically know that he was the last horcrux that he didn't you know that specific knowledge he didn't have but i think he didn't know that eventually he would have to go face to face with Voldemort and Essentially, I mean, I guess he would have to die. I mean, if um, you know, if he went up to the you know, the Death Eater camp in the forest, I mean, they would kill him. I mean, that's for sure. But um, and especially with uh, Voldemort saying, you know, give us Harry Potter, and you know, we'll let you go and everything. I don't know how true that is, I and mean, that could just be a lie. <laughs> well, but, um, no, we all know how truthful Voldemort is. Exactly. So um, he's a regular Abe Lincoln. <laughs> a Winkin <laughs> vampire slayer. Um. 
so I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, if he, if he didn't know that he was specifically the Horcrux, he still would have had, still would have gone. Uh, but do you think that, do you think that Dumbledore didn't, okay, no, I think that Dumbledore made Harry very self-sacrificing. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, I think Harry knew from the, uh, he knew for, uh, kind of, ever since he found out he was the chosen one, after everything he learned in the, like, in book seven, that this is only going to end when I die and I kill Dumbledore, uh, kill, <laughs> kill Voldemort at the same time. <laughs> I think that just listening to Snape's memory, he, he understood one of course, this huge part about Snape's life, but then also that my final sacrifice is going to be me. It has to be. Right. Yeah, I think... Yeah. And I, I, I think without hearing the memory, I don't know, I guess he maybe he wouldn't... I think he still would have done it. But it's yeah. hard to it's hard to think that because... We wouldn't have, we wouldn't understand what, like, so much if we didn't have that memory, like, we didn't know that memory happened. Right, right. You I know, mean, like. <laughs> it wouldn't have been as satisfying. Right. Without that memory. What conclusions can we make about, you know. Dumbledore and Harry? Yeah. I think, well, overall, I think we can conclude that. The relationship that Harry had with Dumbledore was very profound and and very I think it it went deeper than just a mentoring relationship. It wasn't just a here are some skills that you can get and you know go take care of your business. It was a it was a very learning experience for Dumbledore as well as Harry. Um, right. And, you know, for Harry, it was probably the the most consistent individual in his life. Yes. Um, yes, I, I would agree with that. And I think um, because, I mean, if you sort of think about it, the other mentor figures in Harry's life are primarily Sirius Black and Remus Lupin, who both, I mean, we don't really meet Sirius Black until the third year, and he dies in the fifth year. Lupin is there in the third year, but he sort of disappears until the fifth year. Uh, and even then, you know, he's, so, he's such an outcast in society that you know, he's not really there as much for Harry uh, as he would want to be. So, yeah, Dumbledore is definitely the more consistent one. Uh, I mean, they had their end-of-year talks, you know, for the first five years. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I always look forward to when I read the books. Right. They, without a doubt, make me cry each time. Aww. With, without <laughs> Because, like, Dumbledore says things to Harry that I, I want to say to him, like, Harry, you're so kind. But, like, you're so kind and noble. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes, you are, Harry. Yes, you are. <laughs> you know, and he always mentions things about the power of love and friendship. And that's the one way to make me cry is to talk about how strong friendships are. Oh, my God. Stop. I'm, like, getting teary-eyed right now. <laughs> this is too much. 
This is too much. Um, well, since we mentioned serious Black just now, uh, I guess we can sort of segue into his mentoring relationship with Harry. I mean, is he a mentor figure at all? You know, serious man. I like. I lo- I love him. I would totally have been into him in high school. Stop it. And like, no, like if I was, if I was like Lily Potter's like BFF, I would have been like, yo, get with James so I can get with Sirius. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not kidding. Like that's totally what I. I know you are. That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> I would have been that girl um, at Hogwarts. But. We all love that girl. <laughs> but. That I like don't I don't like I don't like Sirius with Harry. I don't like how he treats him. I don't like what he tries to teach him. And I think Harry sees that as well. Like it's it's hard to not wanna hang out with your cool older uncle that's gonna like buy you smokes and rum, but in the end, you know Sirius is kind of like a just go wild and have fun, Harry, like just go crazy, like, do the daring and edgy thing. Like, who cares about anything else? You know, I once read an article, or maybe it was, like, a segment on a radio show about, like, these, like, rocker moms. I don't think that's a real phrase, like, back when people in the article or the radio show or TV show called them. And it's, like, these, like, moms, or I guess dads also, who sort of push their children into doing, like, wild and reckless things just to seem cool and fun. So that the kid likes them. Okay. And uh, no matter, like, how, you know, dangerous or not smart these actions are. I mean, it, I have the same feelings about, like, pageant moms or, like, stage moms or, you know, sports dads or whatever. You know, all those, like, those people who just sort of, like, push their kids and doing all these things just to, like, seem cool and fun and exciting. And I think that I get that same vibe from, uh, from Sirius Black. You know, he definitely... Yeah, you're right. He sort of pushes Harry into doing reckless things and pushes Harry into doing all these, like, foolish, like, things, getting these escapades. It's like, man, not smart. Like, that's not, you know. And then poor Hermione, since you know, we're all about Hermione <laughs> on this podcast, you know, she's the one who has to sort of point out, you know, how foolish everyone's being. But it's like, okay, do you want to be like your you know, smart aleck, um, yeah, friend, or, my aleck friend, or the cool uncle who was, like, on the run, with the, with the, on the run with the law, <laughs> <laughs> it's just that when Sirius, like, finds Harry, um, or when they, you know, when they find each other, and, um, Sirius says all these things, like, man, like, your dad was so much fun, like, we used to do all this, like, crazy stuff, and, like, we legally change into animals now, and all, you know, like, if someone was telling me about all these cool things that my dad used to do, and the fact that you witnessed it, um, I mean, of course I want to hang out with you, and, like, spend time with you, and I want to be the person that my dad was to you, because that's who you like, that's, that's who you keep reminiscing on. That's who you keep saying is your best friend, like, your, who was your best friend in the entire world. But it's not safe. It's not okay to, like, you know, to not have all this, to not have, like, safety and structure 
in your life, especially as a 13-year-old, as a 14-year-old? Well, especially with Lord of Voldemort running around. Like, <laughs> I mean, seriously. Well, Voldemort wasn't able to run around until the very end of the fourth book. And even then, he would glide. Right, right, of course. But um, I, I think once the fifth book start, and um, you have Sirius Black, like, hanging out at Grimald Place, and he's having major cabin fever, and he feels useless, and he's picking fights with everyone, and with, especially Severus Snape, and I think that's when Harry starts to start to get an idea of what his uh, godfather is really like, you know, and, um, you know, it, you sort of want to like Sirius Black because it's cool, he's the godfather, he's the family that Harry never had, but then it's like, well, what about the Weasleys? I mean, I mean, just, I mean, we mentioned Hermione having to always be the disapproving one. Well, Molly Weasley, I mean, she's always looking out for Harry, but she gets the shaft every single time. And, <laughs> like, this past summer when I was reading the fifth book, I was like, what the hell, Harry? Like, <laughs> why, like, why is no one sticking up for Molly Weasley? Like, she's the only voice of reason in that household. <laughs> well, Arthur Weasley, obviously. Um, well, I think the thing, with the, well, you know, man, serious, like, to make statements like, well, at least you're getting some action, Harry, or like, man, at least, like, you're having some face-to-face with Voldemort, I'm stuck in here as a dog, or something. Yeah, like, are yeah, you Are you kidding me? Are you completely kidding me? Harry could have died four times already, and you wanted to try to die another time? Like, great. Great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and like, what message are you really sending out to Harry when you're willing to be like seen in public as the dog, even though everyone knows that's what you are? Like, right. like him as the um, as the black dog. I forgot what like breed he is, but like, okay. I feel like it's like a <laughs> like a worst kept secret that like that's always serious. Like everyone knows. That's yeah, him. that is the worst kept um, secret. I'm, and, like, Malfoy definitely sees it, and, like, I'm sure, I forgot what happens, like, why that's such a big deal, but it is a big deal, like, something bad happens because someone recognized Sirius, and I'm just like, well, what, like, what kind of message are you giving to Harry, that, like, it's okay to take risks for fun, even though there's, like, actual real-life stakes at hand? I mean, risk-taking is, risk-taking is important, you know, you're never gonna, like, actually try anything new until you take a risk, but what... The thing, there's a difference between risk-taking and recklessness, and Sirius tends to err on the side of recklessness because he's been stuck inside a cell as a dog for 13 years, or 12 years. So the problem is, is that as much love and care that Sirius has for Harry, he doesn't really express it, like, in the way you think a, a... mentoring figure should or a caring figure should um my sisters are not going to appreciate this discussion because they <laughs> love Sirius Black and um in fact I knew that I loved Bellatrix when she murdered him oh no no that was, was like, so sad though because like think about how happy like just knowing how happy Harry was when he found out that Sirius was good, and that Sirius was his godfather, and that he might have had a chance of living with him, you know, after, like, forever. And then seeing those dreams be crushed just, like, 
broke me. Like, it just made me so sad when Sirius died. Because it, while Sirius was this crazy, reckless uncle, it would have meant that, like, Harry could have had that... He could have had that family sooner than, than like, him and Ginny getting married or whatever. I guess, but... You know, like, he could have, um, he could have had that. He could have left... It, it still would have been a much more supportive environment than him going back to the Dursleys every summer. You know, yeah, but... Well, first of all, if you... Once he moves out of the Dursleys, then that protective charm is over. Well, that was another thing. Like, we didn't know but, that. But... I mean, yeah, I guess... Yeah, we didn't know at the time. But I was not... I was never really a fan of Harry moving in with Sirius because I just don't think Sirius Black is a good influence. And I feel like he's better off, you know, at the Dursleys where he might be neglected, but at least he's not putting himself in, you know, unnecessary danger, you know, just for, just so that Sirius Black can live vicariously through Harry. Well, I think, well, are you saying that now, or did you always think that? Because I didn't think that when I was first reading the series. I loved Sirius, like, when I first read everything. I want to say that I always thought that because it sounds cool. Right. But... I don't remember, honestly, because when I first met Sirius Black, it was, like, way back in, like, 2000. That was, like, 12 years ago. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure I was, like... I'm pretty sure I thought it was awesome that he had some fan number, yeah, but um, I think I remember being, like, well, when I got to the fifth book, being, like, well, this guy is nuts. No. (laughs) No, Harry, don't. I don't know. I think I, I think I thought... I think I thought, like, wow, like... Harry has Harry's like gonna live with him and he's gonna have this chance. But I think in the back of my mind I knew something would happen where Harry wouldn't be like that wouldn't be able to happen, you know? Um yeah. I mean, I think this is this is like when I was reading the the third book and like in one chapter it's like, Harry, live with me and then the next chapter it's like, Sorry Harry, I'm gonna be a fugitive on the run till my death in two years. Well, I um, remember, yeah, like, in that brief chapter, like, when they're walking back from the Shriek and Shack right. to the Wampling Willow, yeah, like, that one, I was like, oh my god, but then, when you get to the end, and Dumbledore is like, listen, Sirius did not act like an innocent person, like, he did very bad things while he was on the run, like, he broke into Hogwarts, he tried to kill Ron, or he tried to kill Scabbers, but it seemed like he was killing Ron, like, he that's ripped true. through the, you know, he did all these things that were not, you know, they were things not in this there were things that an innocent man wouldn't do. Right. And so that that's not that was my first inclination. That like, okay, serious, like it's not sane. Interesting, <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't I don't know but, why I never I never like thought of that before. That like, oh wait, Sirius is insane. <laughs> so. And because you don't want to because you know, it's yeah, it, I mean I always say that Harry has family in the Weasleys and with I mean, I guess with Hermione, but it's through extension, Hermione's parents also. And so I don't think that Sirius Black is, like, his only family. You know, I think he has family, he just doesn't, either he doesn't, con- I know he considers Weasley's family, but not, like, true family, I mean, I don't know, but. Well, the, I mean, this, you know, this will be another episode, you know, when we talk about family dynamics and everything, yeah. but um, with, with Sirius... It's not, it's, it, the point of having a godfather is to have, is to have that mentoring relationship from the beginning. So, 
like you have somebody to to teach you things and who isn't a parent or a grandparent or an older sibling um it's supposed to be somebody from the outside coming in to provide that guidance so harry being able to have that relationship that's like second to a parent would have been would have been great like they both would have learned together. Maybe Harry would have ended up being a bit crazy, but... Um. But, yeah, do you really think that Sirius is... I mean, he's the technical godfather, but do you think he's, like, a like the metaphorical-type godfather? Because, honestly, what you, what you described sounds more to me like Arthur and Molly Weasley. You know, like, teaching right. Harry and sort of... I mean, they're literally there from the beginning. That's, you know, no, I mean, that's... I mean, at least... At least, you know, from the first day of Hogwarts, you know, I mean, at, at the train station. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Hagrid was there before anyone else. So, I mean, yeah, like, Sirius is that godfather, and you sort of expect that mentoring relationship. Yeah, but honestly, I think he has it more with Hagrid and the Weasleys. I, no, I think, in, I think in actuality, Harry has, Harry has a better teaching and mentoring relationship with other people rather than Sirius. But, I mean, the fact that Sirius was named his godfather means, like, his parents chose that if anything was to ever happen to us, like, Sirius, you're the one who's going to be there. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, he wasn't there, but... He wasn't there, but... <laughs> <laughs> well... I guess, ideally, you know, when James Potter and Lily Potter had their son, yeah, they imagined that, like, they'd be neighbors and you know, all that stuff, and then that Voldemort got in the way. <laughs> that Voldemort... <laughs> Darn you. Uh, well, you know, in the Marauders, though, there is another mentor figure for Harry in the form of Remus J. Lupin. <laughs> Remus J. Lupin. I'm pretty sure that's his... Maybe I made that up. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> and what, so we meet Lupin in the third book, of course. We, he's that shabby sack of clothes in the, in the corner. Um, and then immediately he ends up being <laughs> this, like, protective, knowledge-filled figure. For... Sorry, I just looked it up, and Lupin's middle name is John, so... Oh, look at so you. I... Show off. I'm such a show off. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, Go ahead. But how, I guess, how does Lupin end up being a mentor to Harry? What does he teach him? I mean, literally, he teaches... Harry, the, probably the most important spell Harry would ever learn in his lifetime, which is the Patronus Charm. Um, but, but, um, what, like, the more, like, loftier things that Lupin teaches Harry is sort of belief in himself. I mean, at that point, Harry had two, you know, DADA teachers, you know, Quirrell and Lockhart, who were completely useless, and um, I, I think the third book is really when Harry gets his first taste of, like, the sort of awesomeness of Defense Against the Dark Arts. You know, I mean, we, you know, we said this before, Lupin's sort of the first effective teacher. He's fun and he's exciting and he, you know, keeps everyone on their toes and he challenges the students and respects their, you know, uh, limitations as well as their strengths. And um, And I think... I think Lupin sort of teaches Harry that, you know, Harry does have a lot of strength in him. No matter, you know, Harry does have a lot of 
Um, he has a lot of goodness. He has a lot of strength. He has a lot of honor and nobility. And and I feel like that sort of physically manifests itself as the Patronus. And he he sort of gives Harry a, a different... I mean, I guess this is before, you know, we meet Sirius and learn about James. But he's... He sort of gives Harry the first idea of what his parents were like because Lupin is probably the first person who knew them on an intimate level. Right. Um, I, I really like how you just brought up how Lupin is the one who starts to make Harry see how, how like, noble and good and, and like, what a great person Harry can become and, and already is and can become and how it's important to nurture that side of you um, as much as it, as it is to, like, expand your kind of technical knowledge and skill. Um, and that, I think that's a very valuable aspect of a mentoring relationship, that it's not just, like, figuring out things that <laughs> that you need to become better at, it's making you better at things that you're already good at. Right, that's an excellent, eloquent statement. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> when Lupin catches Harry with a marauder's map and sort of yells at him, that's like, I always feel so guilty when I read that <laughs> after, or when I see that part in the film. So like, man, Harry, you really let down Lupin. Like, how could you? Oh, no. <laughs> well, I mean, just because I think Lupin sort of, one of the few teachers at Hogwarts who treat Harry like an adult. I mean, I feel like teenagers always want to be treated like adults, even if they're as, even if they have the, oh, what's the quote from Order of the Phoenix that Hermione says about Ron? The maturity level of, like, a spoon or something. Yeah, or, yeah, something like that. It's, <laughs> like, hysterical. It's, like, the best line. Hermione um, has always always has the best line. She always has the best fingers. <laughs> like, stuff I want to use on people. Uh, like I'm not an owl. I know. But, <laughs> but uh, anyway, now I lost my train of thought. But you know, the, you know, Lupin sort of takes Harry under his wing and sort of treats him as like, "Hey, look, we're equals. Like, yeah, I'm teaching you the Patronus charm, but you know, we're both having this amazing experience of learning something new, and you know, I mean." The scenes where Harry is trying and failing the Patronus charm over and over in the office are so amazing. And then when he finally gets it, it's like he's like sharing something so real and so passionate and so mind blowing with Lupin. And that really bonds them, like almost for life. I mean, for life. You know, it's like it's this incredible experience that they both have. Like, because how often when you really achieve something is someone really there with you? Like, literally, to be there, you know? That No, that's true. And to be there for when Harry has such a profound um, success and Harry's able to put all this emotion in and have it physically, like, created um, is, is amazing that Lupin is a part of it. And then to kind of bring that full circle, Lupin names Harry as the godfather of his son, Right. Uh, which means that Lupin has so much respect for Harry and knows that he'll be able to teach teach Teddy 
all the all the goodness that Harry has, and also provide to him the support and guidance that that he'll need. Right. Uh, well, speaking of Teddy, um, do you remember that part in Deathly Hallows when you know the trio is at Grimaud Place, and um, it's like after the wedding and everything, um, and Lupin comes, like risking his life, he comes there, and he tries to convince the trio to let him travel with them as like a protection because he's a werewolf, so that means he's like invincible, I guess. Right. Um, uh, which is this, the same mythology as in Twilight also. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, um, but like Harry totally gives him this huge lecture about he's a coward for leaving, abandoning his like pregnant wife, you know, and his unborn son and that family that, you know, he's needed more there than he is, and he wants to like abandon them and just go off in this fun adventure, even though it's, everyone knows it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be fun. And I, and I think that sort of, like, it sort of mirrors their relationship in the third book. Not exactly, but just in the sense that Harry is really pushing Lupin to do the right thing and to really bring the goodness back out of him because he's so depressed about being a werewolf and being married and you know, fathering a son who could or couldn't be a werewolf. And Harry sort of has to bring that goodness back out Lupin and sort of you know, bring it to the forefront, just as Lupin did that to Harry in the third book. I think that's a really interesting. Their relationship that's a great, doesn't get explored. That's a great example. I, that's I just thought of it actually. Oh wow! But wow. Their, I'm, I'm really smart, guys. But their <laughs> their relationship doesn't really get as much playtime in the fourth, fifth, and sixth books, just because of their locations. But I, I really think it's a really strong mentoring relationship because as we said with the other as we said before you know this episode mentoring mentoring isn't just about you know one person teaching another it's about both people teaching each other and i think that really comes out with lupin and harry i agree i like lupin i wouldn't have been into him in high school but he, he would have been in the friend zone for sure See, that's that's so unfortunate. Not <laughs> <laughs> to criticize you. I mean, obviously, I don't want to criticize you, but I'm sure, I'm sure that was his life story. Yeah. Throughout seven years at Hogwarts. <laughs> be like, so someone, like a Pansy Parkinson type would be like, oh my god, Remus, like, you're so cool. Sorry, not Pansy Parkinson, like Lavender or like Barbathy or Buffalo would be like, oh my god, Remus, like, you're so funny and so kind, but I'm just really into serious Black. Like, <laughs> All right, well, let me just go... Let me go turn myself. into a werewolf. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how could you not love Lupin? Because he's played with by Academy Award nominee Gary Oldman. I mean, it's just an incredible performance. That's serious. Oh, I'm sorry, he's played by David Thewlis. <laughs> I know. I. I oh well. I'm oh, so well. annoyed with myself right now. I just. I don't know why I can't speak today. Well, we keep mixing up like <laughs> every, every single name. <laughs> well, he's played by David Dulles, who's an incredible actor, and um, well. he was in a film called Naked, which is awesome. So, if you guys are interested in art house British films, check it out. Speaking of incredible actors, 
let's get into the last mentoring relationship that we want to talk about. And this is between Harry and Mad-Eye Moody slash Barty Crouch Jr., who is uh, played by David Tennant in the films. He plays Barty Crouch Jr. when he's not in Mad-Eye Moody's form. Um, but the, the intriguing part about the relationship between Harry and Mad-Eye Moody, which isn't, you know, mostly which I'm referring to in The Goblet of Fire, is that we think it's Mad-Eye, we think he's trying to help Harry, and he is, he's helping him succeed the Triwizard Tournament, but it's actually Barty Crouch Jr. who's <laughs> playing this game of, you know, mouse trap, trying to get the mouse in the trap. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, what do you think about that relationship? Because I can go on about it for about a day and a half and how I think it's so intriguing because you're reading this and and I, I kind of liked Mad-Eye Moody in book four. I thought he was cool. I thought he was, like, edgy and different and, like, that old guy who is, like, so paranoid and has such extreme neuroses that he's, like, you know, like, has his gun with the safety off all the time. Um, and how, and how he, like, you know, he's the guy who tells Harry to be, like, it's alright to cheat because everyone does it, and, like, come on, Harry, grow a pair of balls or something, like, make it happen, (laughs) you know? So, uh, it's just that it's funny because, like, Harry gets all of this quote-unquote advice, slash, all of this, this is how you do it, from Mad-Eye Moody, which makes him be one of the finalists, you know, he has, like, the, the most points going into the, into the last, into the last task, and that's because of Mad-Eye, so you think, like, you think that Mad-Eye is doing everything right. Yeah, um, the funny thing about Mad-Eye is that he's such a dynamic character, like, he's so colorful and strange and um, he's already three-dimensional because he has you know he has that sort of batty insane side but then he's really astute and his instincts are almost never wrong I mean he might overreact sometimes but he's always on the right page and um, yeah and I think it's um, He's sort, of, he's sort of that guy that's like, just do what you got to do to get the job done, because... But he's a bad done. wizard. He's an evil wizard. He was convicted for crimes against, like, humanity or whatever. And now here he is teaching Hogwarts students about, you know, how to protect themselves from the the, the three, like, ter- what's the name? The three terrible curses or the three... Unforgivable. Un- unforgivable cor- curses and, like telling kids how important it is to be strong and to have constant vigilance and everything. And then he's this, he's this convicted felon. <laughs> like, I just think it's, it's so cool that Rowling put that in there. As a, you know, beware of who, who you get your advice from. I forgot that he was, like, convicted. <laughs> like, a, like a convict. Yeah, but, I mean... <laughs> but, you know what, that... It's sort of like, well, he would be the best person to learn from, because he knows all the tricks. 
And, I mean, I'd rather learn from someone who knows all the tricks than someone like Quirrell, who is better at studying and, you know, looking at theories than actual practice. You know, or someone like Gildor Lockhart, who is, again, all about theory, but not about, but can't do anything. Um, I mean, oh, same with Umbridge. Like, um, I'd rather have someone like Mad-Eye, because he's, like, giving the kids, like, actual, you know, hands-on experience. And, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, they all live in a very troubled world where they might actually need to use an unfor- unforgivable curse. I mean, Harry uses them himself a couple of times in in the seventh, in seventh book. And, um, yeah, I mean, all those kids who are in Harry's, you know, defense, of, defense against the dark arts class with Moody end up being, or most of them, end up being in the DA. And um, we're using new practical experience, I think, especially in that kind of world that they live in. So, um, I, I, I think it's, well, it's not kind of okay that they're being taught by an ex-criminal because, well, he knows, so might as well learn from him. It's just that Moody doesn't do, at least we don't think so, we don't think he does anything quote-unquote wrong until, you know, Harry comes back with Cedric's dead body and is, like, crying and dumb, and Moody's like, well, let's go into my office and we'll have a drink or something. <laughs> Like, yeah, that that's probably the... Like, that was the only, like, red flag that went off then, you know? Cause but were, like, only, to du- only to Dumbledore, though. Right, right. Because but, Dumbledore would have thought, like, Moody would never have done that. Or a teacher wouldn't have done that. But as a reader, did you pick up on that? Or... What? Were you... Like, that, would you, did you pick up then, like, a teacher wouldn't have taken Harry away from the situation? Or would you? Because I, I admit that I kind of rolled with it. You know? I, I rolled yeah, with fair. it. I thought I thought Moody was the best. I was like, man, like Moody turned Draco into a ferret. Like this guy rocks, you know? Yeah. I didn't. I didn't think anything. I didn't think like I said before. I was like, Moody's the kind of teacher I would have been. Like you're so awesome. Like I will yeah. never be that awesome. Like <laughs> you're you're the crazy old man who, like I said, keeps his gun with the safety off in his pocket in his front pocket at that and this interesting thing <laughs> is that when we meet the real Moody you know in the next book and as we see him in the rest of the series he's exactly as played by Barty Crouch Jr. I Which, mean isn't that a- yeah no that's that's what they um that's what they say and and the thing is is that is it <laughs> Does, is it just because Barty Crouch is so good at acting, or is it because they are the same, because they come from the same world? I mean, I, I think it might have been a little easier for Barty Crouch Jr. to put on the performance of a deranged psycho teacher. Because he is uh, deranged because and psycho. Because he is deranged and psycho. But I think he wouldn't have been able to get away with it if Madai Moody, if it wasn't convincing. I mean, just just because you're deranged and psycho doesn't mean you can sort of get all of his mannerisms, all of his, you know, like catchphrases, like constant vigilance. You know what I mean? Like right, right. I mean, like because uh, uh, the entire faculty knows Madai Moody, if not personally, then by reputation. So they would sort of be like, "Hey, wait, that's that's not something Madai would do. He's being really weird." Like even down to drinking from the flask. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, man. That's something that they would totally believe I just, you would do. I just remember reading that and being, like, whatever, 12 years old or 11 years old. 
and like knowing I guess having some idea of like what goes in a flask or whatever <laughs> and being like this is the coolest book ever like these teachers are like drunk during the day <laughs> like <laughs> I want to go to Hogwarts <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's just it's a contrasting quote unquote mentoring relationship Right. than any of the other more soulful ones that we've discussed in this past hour or so. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I would I would even go so far as to say that I think it's my favorite mentoring relationship with Harry until the very end where he almost kills him. But, you know. Well, because <laughs> the lessons that Madai teaches to Harry are ones that are really important. I mean, as we said, I mean, it's, um, you know, Mada is teaching them for the real world, not just for a classroom. I mean, yes, Lupin was also, but Mada more extremely so. And um, a lot of the lessons that he sort of taught Harry and the rest of the class were things that they carry on into their postgraduate you know, life, or even, you know, the Battle of Hogwarts. I mean, that's, you know, Mada's effect on all these kids long-lasting. Absolutely. And I think it's it's almost sort of a, well, how do we take this now? Because we know he was this convicted felon um, for hate crimes and for murders and everything. But now here he is teaching us these instruments that are going to end up saving our lives and saving our colleagues and friends' lives. Perhaps it's just to say that someone's past doesn't really define their present or their future. I mean, if we, I mean, if, I mean, look at someone like Dumbledore, who always trusts everyone. And I mean, yeah, I'm sure that that got in, that got him into some trouble, you know, in as a teenager and as an adult. But um, definitely, you know, Dumbledore definitely trusts people, and he understands their value beyond sort of the superficial facets of their personality. I mean, if, if Dumbledore had said, no, Rudy, you can't teach because, you know... You're drunk. You're, you're drunk and, and you're ex-con. Paranoid. Hey, no, would not survive. But the, the thing uh, is, is that it's not like Dumbledore knew that this Moody is actually Barty Crouch Jr., you know? Well, no, but, I mean, and, he knows Moody... Because he hired the real Moody, he didn't hire. Yeah, but the real the real Moody is this like star, or or, and who has like this kind of rough personality. But right. what I'm trying to say is that the Moody that we learn from in the fourth book is that ex-convict, is that like racist, crazy person who's killed people. Who's killed good people? Well, my question to you uh, is, like, do you think that if we had the real Moody as a teacher, would he have had the same, like, lesson plan, at least a similar one, as Barty Krause Jr. Well, I'm going to take it, I'm going to take that question from the sense of if, what happened with Harry in book four would have happened if it was the normal Mad-Eye Moody. And right. obviously it wouldn't have, because Harry wouldn't have been in the Triwizard Tournament. 
Um, and, but even then, I don't think Harry would have had that same, like, relationship where he's learning what it's what it means to be in a competition, what it means to have an edge and and sort of you know the kind of strength and vigor that it takes to to achieve and and to get things done. I don't think Harry would have learned that in the same way and to the same extent if it hadn't been that ex con teaching him. Right. Or current con. Runaway Talon. Uh-huh. But even, like, what, well, what do you think about, like, within the classroom? Like, the unforgivable curses and the constant vigilance stuff? Like, do you think that still would have been there? You know, I don't know. I, I, I think... I don't think that... I don't know if Moody would have been the one to, like, put the imperious curse on students. Yeah. In reality, I don't think that would have happened. I mean, I don't know. I think that um, I think he would have. Well, we can definitely say that you know Barty Crouch Jr. and Mad Eye Moody, because Moody like spent so much of his life and so much of his energy in his life on chasing people like him. They have like he can have that same thought pattern, and he kind of does because he has to be able to think like the people that he's trying to find and trying to convict so he's like he's right. like those kinds of crazy detectives but to say that he would have acted the same way as the people that he chases I don't I don't think that that's accurate but I don't know right. I mean but we learn in the fifth book that mad is this like insane person anyways right it's it, the Mad Eye Moody book for Mad Eye Moody and Harry is like my those are my fav that's like my favorite mentoring relationship because yeah yeah it's just so contradictory to like what we end up thinking it is right exactly <laughs> so you know it's a this this was a fun this was a fun episode definitely <laughs> I had a lot of fun doing it and to think we weren't even drinking wine while we were doing it. <laughs> What? You weren't? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we want to hear your thoughts, as always. We want to know what you guys think about the mentoring relationships that we mentioned, and if we're missing some. One thing, I'll say it, and Manish will repeat it, because we're gender liberationists, is there isn't a strong female mentor... You know, there's McGonagall, but she's not... I guess she doesn't have the the same kind of effect on the characters for an extended period of time in the I novel. mean, I consider Bellatrix Lestrange to be my mentor, but... <laughs> 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 okay. Okay, Manish. Um... But I think that, I think I'm the only person who thinks that. So I think you are. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so um, you know, please uh, give us your comments on Facebook and on Twitter. We love to hear them. Our number of followers and fans is growing, so we're really excited about that. And thank you for listening, and look out for. 
our uh, our seventh and lucky episode yes. in the next week or so. Thank you. Thanks. The sound. You're, you sounded a little bit like you were underwater, like a little gurgly. I'm just going to check. Uh, I mean, I am underwater. So. Oh, okay. <laughs>